Lord, we surrender this day and every day to you. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to your scripture this morning. May your spirit be with us. Amen. Amen. Thanks, girls. That was great. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Shana. I'm the family ministry director here at Lilton Christian Church. It is so awesome to have our kids with us and helping um, with service today. And um, thank you for smiling with uh, bumps and noises and microphone issues um, and, and all kinds of things. Um, those extra noises are a joy. Well, as Mike has already kind of shared, um, today is our Family Service Sunday, and um, he already gave an impromptu, lovely <laughs> casting a vision for Family Service Sundays. Um, but let me just speak into them a little bit as well. Um, on these Sundays, we intentionally gather all generations together. We forego our kids' classes and all this kind of other stuff. Um, we want to worship God together alongside one another. We want to lean into learning from different ways we all might worship and encounter Jesus. Kids and students are often expected to rise up to the ways adults um, might uh, understand the world, and this is a good thing for them. This helps them learn and grow, um, but God intends for that relationship to be reciprocal. God wants us to use them to shape us as well. We all have a place and purpose in God's kingdom, no matter how young or how old we are. After all, in Matthew 18, when asked who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, who does Jesus say? He calls over a child, and he uses that child's faith and position in society to illustrate his point. And in Matthew 19, when the disciples would have sent kids away, Jesus is a busy man, after all, no time for kids, Jesus would not let them, saying, don't ever stop them from coming to see me, for heaven belongs to such as these. We're going to come back to this later as we start to talk about humility. Um, in our passage today. But I would also like to point to the story of Anna in Luke 2. Anna is what the Bible calls advanced in years, which is a nice way of saying she's old. Anna, upon seeing the young Jesus who his parents had brought to the temple, she didn't need to be told who he was. She just knew. And Luke tells us that she gave thanks to God and spoke about Jesus to everyone she could. When we're young, it can seem hard to see Jesus to understand who he is. Um, in fact, this last week in our student small group, one student commented how hard it is to share her faith with others when she's still trying to figure out God for herself. And I thought that was just wonderful honesty. Haven't we all felt that way at some point in our lives? God gives us the great gift of people with the splendor of gray hairs, as Proverbs says. And like Anna, they often have a lovely way of seeing straight to Jesus, sharing with us, and guiding us with what they've seen and what they know to be true. We all have a purpose in God's kingdom, no matter how young or old. Okay, that is my intergenerational ministry soapbox. Thank you. The point is we're all together today, yay, <laughs> which means we're all going to be engaging with this rather odd but actually kind of cool story about Jacob. Um, kids, Jenna has just passed around a cross and some yarn for you to work with today, um, and that's going to come in a little later. If you are a kid at heart and would also like a cross and yarn, Jenna can deliver one to you as well. There's no judgment here. Who doesn't like to work with crosses and yarn? Um, all right, so I'm going to actually start today by retelling our story using the Greatest Storybook Bible, and this will help us all be on the same page, and also the pictures are just really neat. Um, so the picture should show up on the screen. Bethany, I'll try, to, I'll try to cue you. Okay, here we go. Yes. Sometimes brothers don't get along. Big brothers pick on little brothers. Little brothers take things from big brothers. And everyone ends up feeling sad and hurt and mad. 
That's how things were with Esau and Jacob. In fact, things were so bad that Isaac sent Jacob back to Rebekah's hometown so that Esau wouldn't find him and kill him. But you haven't had those sibling conflicts in your house. Big brothers can get very angry, especially when little brothers trick them. Next picture. But despite the people sinning and scheming, God was up to something good. Jacob stayed with his uncle Laban, and both of them got rich, which must have been very nice. Jacob also got married. By the time he left his uncle, Jacob had two wives, 12 sons, and a whole bunch of sheep, and goats, and donkeys, and camels, and cows. God was blessing Jacob, just like he had blessed Abraham and Isaac. To make sure Jacob knew how blessed he was, God came to him two times in the middle of the night. One time when Jacob was leaving for Laban, and one time when he was leaving from Laban. In the first meeting, Jacob had a strange dream. Not about losing his teeth, or about going to school without any clothes on, or eating a giant marshmallow and waking up to find your pillow was gone. Gross. No, this was a dream about a ladder full of angels going up and down from earth to heaven. It was a sign that God would come down and help his people, which is exactly what God promised Jacob in his dream. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Jacob thought this was pretty awesome. And not awesome like, check out my fake dinosaur tattoo. Awesome like, God is here. Next picture. In the second meeting, Jacob had a strange fight. It was dark. Jacob was alone. He was scared. Jacob was afraid that even after being separated for 20 years, Esau still wanted to kill him. So that night, Jacob wrestled all night. Into the morning, Jacob would not let go until the mysterious wrestler man would bless him. And Jacob won. The wrestler man blessed Jacob by giving him a new name and a bad hip. Jacob would now be Israel and would learn that walking with a limp isn't so bad if God carries us where we need to go. After 20 years, Jacob was starting to change because God's promises were not. All right. So Jacob here is out of ways to scheme, lie, and manipulate. He's out of options. He can't go back, and God has told him to return to a home where his brother Esau might still be pretty mad at him. He learns that Esau might be bringing an army to meet him. Jacob cannot control the situation. And finally, we see from Jacob a humble faith, which we haven't seen up until this point. Out of desperation, Jacob prays to God for help. Not only do we see the beginnings of humility, we also see Jacob trying to make up for some of the things he's done wrong. He takes a great deal of his own wealth, and he sends it on to his brother, from whom he'd stolen the blessing. So these are good signs. These are good changes in Jacob. But then we have this weird episode here. Jacob is alone. He sent his family away to keep them safe. And a man shows up, and they wrestle all night, which is a long time. It's been a long time since I've tried to stay up all night. I don't think it would be pretty. It's a reminder of Jacob's great physical strength that he can wrestle that whole time. After all this wrestling, the unknown man, he reaches out and with one touch, 
dislocates Jacob's hip, and it ends the conflict. By renaming Jacob Israel, it is revealed to us and to Jacob that this is actually God. This episode ends with the sun rising, the night is over, it's the beginning of a new day and a new life for Jacob. He will have a limp from now on. He will only have one more son after this incident. His body has been permanently damaged, but his heart and mind have been transformed, and he will now try to live life as one who trusts in God. It's a big change if you think about all of the things we've talked about with Jacob up until this point. This is huge. The change that God brings about in Jacob shows us a couple of things about God and about us. I don't think I have to tell you that self-sufficiency is highly valued in our modern-day culture. Independence, being able to handle things by yourself is considered a marker of success. Having to ask for help, especially for money or things like that, is a sign of failure. And it brings shame. We're getting better, but we still have a bit of a stigma around mental health. Because mental health issues are more unseen than physical health issues, we think they should be easier to overcome. Depression and anxiety can't get in the way of our jobs or our grades. We should be able to find the willpower, right, and the strength to push through. I mean, after all, there's nothing really wrong with us that we can see, right? Not right. Anxiety can be just as debilitating as an illness. Depression can be a long, dark battle with no end in sight. Just because our culture values something doesn't mean that it's actually doable or even a right way of thinking, obviously. God made us to need each other. There shouldn't be shame in asking for help. This past week, um, Jenna, our awesome intern, and I were brainstorming and talking through this Jacob story, and she pointed out that when we're kids, adults are always encouraging us to ask for help, right? Just ask for help. I, want, I can help you with that. We don't, just, we don't just leave kids wallowing in frustration over a task that they, that they can't complete on their own. We help, we teach, we guide, we suggest, we correct, we encourage, we even discipline, and we celebrate success together. Now, of course, we want kids to be able to do a lot of things on their own when they grow up, obviously, but we don't expect them to learn on their own. And even when our kids are adults, I think most parents would say we still want to help our kids, we still want to love and support them. We might launch our kids, but we don't leave them, right? That's family. And this is family, this church. This is family. Somewhere along the way, we've developed this idea that adults no longer should need to ask for help. Imagine for a minute that I asked one kid up here and one adult up here, and say I had just like a big giant pile of bags full of whatever, marshmallows you pick. And I asked, who could hold more bags, the adult or the kid? What would you say? The adult. <laughs> yeah, the adult for sure, right? I mean, longer arms, all of that. That's kind of obvious. Okay, some of our students are getting bigger than me, which is really unfair. But still, the point is, <laughs> right? The point is, yes, an adult could hold more bags than a kid. But if you keep piling on those bags and piling on those bags and piling on those bags, at some point, even the adult is going to not be able to handle any more. That adult's arms are going to get tired, there's not going to be any more room, and the strength is going to fail. So yeah, it might be more than a kid can hold, but at some point it's still going to be too much for one person. No matter how grown up we are, life can be too much for one person alone. This is not cause for shame or blame or failure. 
God quite clearly and purposefully makes it so that Jacob can no longer go it alone. In the book Preaching Christ from Genesis, Sinni Gradanus writes that by changing Jacob's name to Israel, God warns Israel that God will not allow independent, self-sufficient people to enter the promised land, but only those who rely on God. Before self-sufficient people can enter the kingdom of God, he goes on to say, God needs to change them into people who rely on God. Jesus helps us understand this more, as he does. He warns that it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than to fit a camel through the tiny hole in a needle, wealth here being a stand-in for self-sufficiency. He commands us to enter through the narrow gate, the gate that leads to life and that few find, he says. He warns the Pharisees that their self-sufficiency is going to lose them the kingdom of God. Jesus states that whoever humbles himself like a child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12 about a problem he has. He writes that he has a great pain in his body. He writes that when he asked God to take it away, that God said to me, Paul says, God said to me, my grace is all you need. My power is strongest when you are weak. So I am very happy to brag about how weak I am, this is Paul. Then Christ's power can rest on me because of how I suffered for Christ. I'm glad that I am weak. I am glad in hard times. I am glad when people say mean things about me. I am glad when things are difficult, and I am glad when people make me suffer. When I am weak, I am strong. Do you know what Paul says about why God did not take his problem away? He says, so I wouldn't become proud of myself. In his book, Leading with a Limp, Dan Allender, reflecting on Jacob in Genesis 32, the story today, argues that a biblical leader is one who has been broken of our own pride and self-sufficiency. And only after that can we lead effectively. I can say wholeheartedly that this is absolutely the story of my own life. And it's often painful, but the joy of the new day that comes after the wrestling, the hope we have in Christ, the strength we find only in him and not ever in ourselves, it's worth the limp. God doesn't view self-sufficiency as the way to a successful life. God wants us to realize that he is our true source of strength. Apologies. God had to take away Jacob's physical strength to help him rely on God. And by doing so, he's giving us one of many examples to learn from. We all need God for everything. For air to breathe, for each new day, for salvation, redemption, for transformation. God has shown us that he can be relied on, that he is faithful to us. He has kept his promises, and he will keep his promises. If you're not sure about God's trustworthiness, which I would totally understand, just keep reading your Bible. Keep learning from other people. God will show you. He will prove it to you. He will prove it to you in his, in his own way. Because God is sovereign. That's a big word, I know. But it's no good trying to substitute a smaller word. Sometimes the big word is just the best word for what you're trying to say. The sovereignty of God means that he is the creator and ruler. And because he is the ruler, he has power and wisdom and authority over his creation, over us. And because he loves us so much, this is actually a very good word. One that can encourage and strengthen us. I want you to take a few minutes to watch this video and listen to this song. 
The lyrics are a part of the video, so you'll be able to read the lyrics on the screen. This is by a group called Beautiful Eulogy. They're passionate about putting theology to music, which sounds really nerdy, I know, um, but it's actually super cool. And this song is called Sovereign, and it's ministered to my heart um, many times.
find success or should we second guess? When world leaders are deceivers eager to pump their chest, is life a game of chess? Do you have these things in check? With so much evil, how can we believe you're good? But I finally understood when I saw that man nailed to wood. bringing down the house this morning. That was great. Um, I hope I hope you enjoyed that song. Uh, when I bring videos on a Sunday, I'm giving you a bit of a window into our, our youth group times and our kids' times, so <laughs> I know it's a little different. All right, here's a fun exercise to do at home. Find a Bible concordance. Kids, a concordance is just a tool that helps you find things in the Bible by word. You look it up by word. You can find one either online or a physical one, and I want you to look up the word strength. Strength, strengthen, strong. It's going to be a couple pages of verses. And when you start to read the verses listed, you'll find a pretty extraordinary pattern. Over and over again, this sovereign God promises to strengthen those who ask and seek for it. We are not strong, we are strengthened. And in fact, we've done some of that work for you this morning. I'd like to invite you all to uh, go back, to take a few minutes, go back to our little table over there on the side, and we have a whole bunch of printed out verses for you. Um, some verse in the Bible where strong or strength or strengthened is mentioned. I want you to look those over, and I want you to grab one or two that stand out to you just in this moment, whatever circumstances you might be faced in. Um, and then share it with someone around you. Share why you chose that verse. Um, find a kid. Uh, ask their name, get to know them, and um, just share kind of what that verse means to you. And then take that verse home, look it up in your Bible, and read all the things around it, because verses aren't meant to be read all by themselves. All right? So I want you to just take a few minutes um, to go and find a verse, and then share with somebody around you, and then um, we'll, we'll bring you back in just, just two or three minutes. Well, church, I'm sorry to interrupt your conversations because uh, this discussion of scripture is a fantastic way to bring it deeper and, uh, and connect your own dependence on God's strength. And I'm, you know, what a, what a powerful message in the life of Jacob. At the beginning of this passage, um, this is the first time that Jacob prays in his life. He's had these encounters with God. He's had dreams. Uh, he, you know, he's, he's tried to trick God. He's tried to trick other people. But this is the first time where he's out of options. He thinks he's going to die. And he just prays, Lord, I need you. I'm scared. Please protect me. And, and it's that night that, he, that God comes to him and wrestles with him and wounds him. Um, so... What are ways that we can continually remember our dependence on God? Well, the Israelites had a pretty basic way to remember their dependence on God. They ate. 
And isn't that a reminder of art? Like, our, we cannot do it on our own. Some of you are workaholics. You, you just want to get as much done as possible every single day. And the two things that annoy you the most are that you have to stop to sleep and you have to stop to eat. Is there anyone in the, anyone here who's got that? Okay, I've got, well, I've got one honest elder in the back. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, man, I, I've talked to some of my most productive friends. They are so annoyed that God designed us to need to sleep. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's the best thing. I love sleeping. Um, that's why I love it so much, Donald. But whenever the Israelites had a profound encounter where God did something that they didn't expect, what did they do? They ate. And at the end of our story, there's a super weird line at the very end of our story. Remember, Jacob prays. He's doing this stuff to make his brother not hate him and not kill him. He wrestles with the angel. And that's a weird thing. The angel, you know, knocks his hip out of socket, which sounds very, very painful. And then at the very end, it says, and that's why to this day, the Israelites don't eat the sinews of the hip. What? <laughs> well, they're using food to remember the great lesson that's been given to them. And that's what we do every week because that's what Jesus taught us to do. He taught us to use food to remember our dependence on him. On the very night that he was betrayed, gathered with his disciples around the table, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. He is declaring our dependence on him, on his body given for us. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, we proclaim that we are dependent on Jesus for this whole time from now until eternity. We're longing for him. We need him. And this meal is a reminder, and every meal you eat is a reminder that we are desperate. We need the Lord to strengthen us. If you just try to go on your own strength, you will run out of fuel much quicker than you think. You will. But he restores us. He refuels us. And so when we eat, we remember that he strengthens us. So, Lord, we thank you that in this meal that you offered, simple elements, bread and wine, you are reminding us that we're dependent on you. And Lord, we wrestle with you. We do. We try to be stronger than you. We try to prove that we can do it on our own. And you, with a simple touch, can give us a limp for the rest of our lives. And Lord, I pray that those of us who are experiencing various types of limps, it may be in our emotional health, it may be our mental health, maybe our physical health, maybe in relationships. Lord, we are experiencing limps in many ways. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would reframe those things in our minds and hearts. Lord, I know you want to restore your people, yes, and we believe some of those things you want to heal, but some of those you have given to us as a gift. 
to be dependent on you. And so, Lord, as we come to this table, we come empty-handed. We do not trade anything. We do not buy this meal. We are totally dependent on you. And we receive empty-handed this reminder that you have wrestled with us, that you have prevailed over this world, and that your victory is our strength. In Jesus' name, amen.